beautiful. You are listening to the Africana Women Podcast. I am your host, Chulu. Happy month of May. I honestly don't understand where the time is flying, hey? I'm currently going through a phase where I'm saying no to certain things so as I can say yes to what I really want. Have you ever been through a season like that in your life? I'll tell you what, it's not easy because you have to learn the art of saying goodbye and letting go. Ooh, child, my, I'm heartbroken. So I've had to let go of something that has been a big part of my life for the past four years. And I'm, I'm really scared and I'm nervous because there's so much unknown about this next phase of my life. But I'm also very excited that I get to say yes. And I'm getting to say yes to Africana Woman. How amazing is that? So this is what we have planned for the month of May in the Africana Woman world. So first of all, if you have not participated in the AWV Networking Virtual Mixer, Sis, you are totally missing out. <laughs> we hosted our second edition and it was on, I think, 30th April. It was magical. It was so beautiful. African women who are leaders, entrepreneurs and founders, you know, they tuned in from all over the world and they got to interact with each other. There were collaborations being formed in the breakout rooms because the women would find brands that align and, you know, we were celebrating each other's wins and supporting each other by sharing our own resources, knowledge and networks. Like, oh, you need to join the next mixer. It is held on the last Friday of the month. I'll put the link in the show notes. Okay. Then we are introducing something new and I wanted you, the podcast listeners, to be the first ones to hear about it. Friend, this is exclusive. So drum roll, please. <laughs> this month, we will have our first ever live event in Lusaka. Okay, so it's called BYOB, which stands for Be Your Own Bay. I know like some of you went to bring your own booze. Da, 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 da. Come back, come back, <laughs> come back. Be Your Own Bay. I know how busy you are with your life, whether it's your business, career, family, all the things that keep you occupied. So I just want to give you one day in the month where you can practice self-love. I want you to make one day that is all about you and it is non-negotiable. So this is how it works. Every month, Africana Women Visionaries will host a BYOB event that is exclusively for women. They will be out of the norm activities, really fun, and we want you to connect with the other ladies. We want you to be celebrated. We want you to support each other. But we do have two asks of you. Number one, no makeup. I heard a collective gasp. <laughs> Number two, no devices. Yo, I've lost people now. <laughs> <laughs> remember, remember what I said at the beginning. This is your time. 
your day of self-love. This is an opportunity to just unplug, disconnect, and just center on yourself. Mm? So if this is something that intrigues you, check it check it out in the show notes. I'll put the link there. There are limited spots because we want to practice social distancing measures, but I guarantee you, you do not want to miss this. This is an event like you have never been to before. So we also have planned a live panel discussion about Black women's health care. I can't wait for this one, but more details to come soon. Okay, so quick recap. Check out the AWV Networking Virtual Mixer. Join us for the first ever live event of Be Your Own Bay, and this is in Lusaka. And keep your eye out for the live panel discussion about Black women's health care. So we actually have an interview today. <laughs> I know I've taken a while to get here. But anyway, um, today I would love for you to welcome to the Africana woman mic, Lengwe Bobo. She is a phenomenal Zambian woman doing amazing mental health advocacy amongst the youth. We talked about how the communication plays out in our homes as Zambians and by extension Africans from the perspective of a younger generation. I mean, if you're like me, who is 30-something, yeah, uh, you know, our parents, they never talked to us. They never talked to us about relationships. They didn't talk to us about sex, about money, you know, real things in life <laughs> that I can actually use. No, they were forcing us to learn the Pythagoras theorem. Where is that getting me now, eh? <laughs> but real talk, now that you have your own kids, you know, people are starting to have their kids and all of that. Are you also going to repeat the cycle? Hmm. So listen to this fascinating interview with Lengue. Lengue Bobo is a 20-year-old speaker, Christian, leader, blogger, advocate, pan-Africanist, pro-female, who has, at some point, dabbled in the fine science of robotics. Born and raised in Zambia, she describes herself as ambitious and tenacious. Apart from the whole changing the world thing she has going on, she is currently pursuing a bachelor's degree in law. Please enjoy our conversation. All right. So, Lengue, could you tell us a little bit about yourself? Um, okay. Where to start? I am a believer, um, Christian. I, um, I'm, uh, I'm studying law, so I'm pursuing a, degree, a bachelor's degree in law. I like to talk. I think that's my superpower. I was, I've been, yeah, I was born and raised in Zambia. Uh, first, well, I was born in Lusaka, then moved to Ndola, then moved back to Lusaka. And that's where I currently reside. All right. So I saw that you are a blogger and an activist. Just tell us a little bit more about what makes you so passionate about doing those things. Okay, so I think this kind of, um, I don't know, it was a lot of things that kind of built up over time, but I remember one specific conversation. So I have my best friend, 
Um, and he was telling me, we're just, we're having, I think I just came out of high school probably, and we're having a conversation about rape culture. And so he was just like, no, um, he was saying that he, he had a conversation with his friends and they didn't know about like consent. They were just like, no, he was just like, you know, a lot of guys just think like you just, like it, like girls exist for their pleasure or something like that. And so I'm just like, I, I, I was, I was mind blown. I was like, how, how does a whole human being not know about this? And so, um, what I ended up doing is that I ended up opening up a conversation on that because I was like, it's really important um, for me to kind of be the voice of the voiceless. There's probably also girls who don't know about this. So I was like, let me try with what I have, which was just social media at the time. So I'm like, let me just try to be posting about it and see where that takes me. And so I just try to put myself in positions of those that can't speak up for themselves. Like, you know, I'll read like different stories. Um, like what was happening in Sudan last year. Um, I also read about modern day slavery and things like that. And I, like lots of people told me like, Lingui, why are, you, why are you reading that stuff? It's so sad. And I'm like, yeah, it's sad, but I'm just reading it and other people have to leave it. So I'm going to do the best with what I can to just like bring some light to the attention. I mean, to, you know, the situation. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, that's interesting. So today... Um, I like that you, you know, you said that you're a voice for the voiceless. And I think the topic for today is quite appropriate. We are speaking about communication in African homes and mental health. So tell us a little bit about your, um, your home background. Okay, so I was raised, or I have been raised, or I'm still being raised by a single mom. Um, my mom's a doctor, and I also live with, like, my young sister. So that's, like, my whole family. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's actually the same as me. I have, we were three in the house, so my mom's a single parent, and then it was me and my young sister as well. Wow. We seem to have so much in common. So what is- <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So what was um, the communication culture like in your home? I think my mom just like tried to foster um, openness, you know. Um, She tried to make sure that me and my sister didn't, like if we ever had an issue, she tries to make it so that we can go to her first rather than going probably like to the internet or to other people. She always voiced that we're beautiful, that we are loved. And she just talked about, you know, um, things that would be considered taboo in other homes. She'd talk about like the rape culture that exists. Um, she'd talk about just sex in general. Um, from a young age, I, I, I would like hear these conversations and she'd just be like telling me, like, don't get manipulated, don't, you know, um, and all that stuff. So she just made sure to be as open as humanly possible. Mm-hmm. That's interesting because I don't think it's um, quite in homes to have conversation about sex in particular. Well, I guess I guess it has to has a lot to do with the fact that she's a doctor and she's probably seen some things. I remember I was I was really young, I was maybe ten, eleven, and then she comes home and she's like, "I just admitted this. I just saw this eleven um, year old girl and she's pregnant." And I 
I'm 11. And it's like, you know, so she, she got exposed to so many things at work. And so she's just like, it's a reality. I can't not talk about something that's actually happening. It's the same thing for like relationships and everything. She would never be like, oh, go and have a boyfriend or something like that. But I was always open enough to tell her like I have a crush, you know, because she's like, if I'm not there, if, if you don't tell me, uh-huh. then you might just make um, make a wrong decision. Like you probably enter a relationship you're not supposed to enter just because of something. So I'm better off being there to clarify all those things on your behalf. Okay, so one thing that I found strange and I didn't know it was kind of like unique to me maybe is that my mom apologizes. Like if my mom is wrong, she's actually going to come in and say like, I'm sorry, I might have exaggerated. I had a long day, that kind of thing. Whereas for them, they're just like, what do you mean apologize? (laughs) You know, and um, when I had like the questionnaire I sent out, I actually remember somebody because I I actually, uh, it was an, Anonymous, so I don't know who was responding, but somebody goes like, when I asked like, why do you think African parents don't res- don't um, apologize? And somebody's like, because they're always right. <laughs> and I'm not sure if that's a child or a parent, but yeah, a lot of them were saying like, um, there's this culture. A lot of people said it was toxic, like you know that older people think they're always right and they can't be corrected when it's not the case. interesting so um when you looked at your peers what were the things that they were comfortable with um having conversations with their their parents about or yeah well for them it was just like the normal how was school that kind of stuff so school well-being um maybe if you want to go shopping and that kind of stuff i want to go for a sleepover but it was never like actual conversations about just like anything. Mm. So, do you think your your friends wanted to have those conversations? Have they tried having those conversations? Okay, so if they want to have them again, that's that's it's fifty fifty. Someone to have the conversations, just not all the conversations. And I have like a bit, like a bit of a more open culture, of course. But just like certain things are just like, no. Whilst um, others just, they want to be able to talk to their parents because they can't even go beyond like, some things as simple as, can I go out with my friends? Even if it's like during the day or something like that, it's like, I can't ask my mom that. And so I'm like, I, I, I don't know, because it's not the way I've, I've been raised. So I just found it a bit odd. Mm. So tell me about the survey that you did. Why did you do the survey and what was the what was your goal? Okay, so I did the survey because when I was choosing like a topic to come on here and talk to you about, I hadn't ever done one to do with communication. My my normal one, if you check anything, it's probably like mental health or rape culture. So I was like, let me try this one out. And so I was like, okay, because I know 
it seems like my relationship with my mom is an anomaly. So I was like, let me try and see, let me try and even out the playing ground, the playing field so that I can know what everybody's experience is. So that's why I set up a questionnaire just to get different points of view and like different upbringings. Were you in a single parent home? Were you in um, a bio, were, were you raised by both your biological parents? Were you raised by a guardian or, and all those different things. So what did you notice in the answers? Um, I noticed that there's just like a few people who had um, what I would say is healthy communication with their parents, whereby they're able to actually also voice out concerns and have their parents hear them and um, just have those kinds of conversations. Whereas most people, it was just like their parents seem to take a very authoritative stance. And so there's no room for like what I think or what I feel it's just about like because you're the parent you're going to do anything and so that led to kind of like a one size fits all parenting where uh, whereby um rather than looking at each child as an individual parents seem to raise everybody like the firstborn and we all know that we have like different personalities so it doesn't always work out well on the question of whether of what why i um had to do the questionnaire it's just because this is kind of like uncharted ground for me and I never and I didn't want to go in assuming that everybody's lifestyle everybody's upbringing is like mine so I wanted more of like a, a level playing field where I get to know how different people have been brought up you know um, what kind of parenting style what kind of communication whether raised by both parents whether raised by one whether raised by guardians and all that stuff and how those individual um relationships were worked out within their homes and so what i ended up finding is that most parents are very um authoritative you know whereby their children don't necessarily have a say it's not like um mom i think we should go out and do this i think we should it was just kind of a they they tell me something i listen so which was very different from mine yeah. as i said that's interesting. Did you find that in, or do you find that in your education, you had that same type of authoritative experience or it was also very open? I believe for the most part, my educative experience has been open. I actually can't think of like a, a very authoritative figure in like any of my teachers, I don't think I've ever had like a teacher who's just like, listen to me and that's it. I, I've never had one of those. So what type of advice would you give somebody who wanted to start to have deeper conversations in their home? What type of steps do you think someone would need to take? I, I think um, the first thing would probably be to know your parent, know your guardian, know the person that you're trying to talk to and just kind of um, know how they'll respond to things. So I'll give you an example. So I said I was raised by my mom, but me and my dad um, started building our relationship. So I remember once um, he would be picking me up from school because I was at a boarding school. So I wanted, I wanted to test the waters, you know, I want to see how he reacts to things. I don't know, like when I say this, how is he going to behave? And so what I did was um, I just started like having random conversations with him, small, small conversations with him until it kind of like built up to like, 
um, can you believe this boy was actually asking me out? And I'm just like watching him to, to see like when I say boy, what is he going to do? <laughs> so I'm like, can you believe this boy was asking me out? And I don't get it, you know. And this is like, I don't even think that actually ever happened. I just wanted to know what he'd say. And he's like, yeah, I mean, I don't know why you would pay attention to dating at this age. And I was like 14 or 15. So I was like, yeah, I mean, at this age, it doesn't make sense that I would date. So I now know, like, I can't come and tell, tell dad, like, I have a boyfriend. Because he said, at this age, don't be dating. Um, but again, not all parents are that open. So because I've, I've seen that even parents themselves believe that they should be authoritative, Right. So now when in that situation, it's very hard to advise because if you think you're just supposed to tell me what to do and I try and have a conversation with you, that could go wrong so fast. But um, what some of my cousins end up doing is that they just, they, they go to their parents and like, okay, don't shout at me. Just listen to me. I just want you to listen. Don't shout. And so they'll start to like the small things. Don't, don't go all the way. Please, like first time, don't go all the way. Start, start um, chipping at it slowly. Yeah, that's what I would say. Yeah, so, you know, it kind of it's interesting because you, I think, for African homes, one thing I always wonder about is when does a a child stop being a child and they become an adult? Um, and I think that's why we have a lot of people that are 40 years old and they're still in their mother's home, you know, because then as parents, we continue to perpetuate this, I am, I am the authority. And, you know, you don't give uh, your children enough space to actually, to actually, you know, just grow and become independent in general. But I want yeah. Yeah. Um, on that, I've seen that. Ish. You know, that's what I was saying. I was like, look, they're going to be telling you <laughs> this is how it ha- it works in an African home. Um, from the time you're like so young, born probably to maybe like 23 years old, it's going to be like, don't date, pay attention to school, don't don't talk about boys, don't. And then when you reach like 25, they're like, when are you getting married? And so it's like, when did you tell me? When did you tell me it was fine to be in a relationship? I don't and think. How do I find the same for first of all? Because I haven't been exposed. Exactly. So I, I think I think parents mean well with it. I really do think they mean well. They want to shield us from a lot of things, but I also think it's a bit unrealistic because you can't shield somebody from everything. And when you try to do that, what you what you risk doing is putting a child in a situation where they're not going to be able to understand what's going on. They're not going to be able to adapt well because I have friends and I, I'm, 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 I'm shocked at the lack of exposure There's certain things that will, that, that I'll be talking about. And they're like, ah, that happens. And I'm like, how, how, how don't you know this? I can give you a clear example, actually. Um, I hope she didn't kill me for saying this. <laughs> so I, I'm <laughs> so at my at my school, um, my university. The way the the rooms are set up is like there's just like um, there's a staircase in between, like the boys' side and the girls' side, right? And so I was walking with my friend, and she's like, um, "What did she say?" She was like, that, "That's not enough space, you know. The boys can't be that close to the girls." 
And so I'm like, it's not a big deal. They go to each other's rooms probably and everything. And she goes like, oh. and I'm like, how? And then I'm like, uh, I'm like, you do know probably most of these are in relationships and they just like flock between each other's rooms. And so she's like, Lingue, that's wrong. And I'm like, um, well, it depends. It may be wrong if, if you're religious, it's probably wrong. But if you're not, this is the world. And she's like, and she seemed genuinely shocked. And I'm like, huh. You know, so I feel like she's one of those people who's been kept really close. And for me as a friend, I don't know how to react to that because I'm like, so her parents have kept her shielded from these things all these years. Am I supposed to expose her? Am I supposed to shield her more? Am I just supposed to wait until she's in a, in a situation that would completely shock her? I don't know what to do. Because for me, exposure was there. It wasn't like, oh, at a young age, but like slowly she made sure that I see, she can shield me still, but she made sure that I see the reality of the world. That's interesting. Because I mean, I guess then it goes back to like what you were talking about with um, a conversation that you have quite often when it comes to rape culture and how... Um, parents are not willing to have conversations about sex and, you know, sexual relations, what's appropriate, what's not with their children. So, you know, it's basically people are just left to watch whatever's on TV and be exposed to all sorts of media. And that is what is going to inform the way that they experience the world. Girl, after the year we just had... I know as an entrepreneur and a leader, things got real lonely really fast. Uncertainty has become the order of the day and yet we must continue to not only survive but thrive. So as a leader, who do you turn to to fill your cup, to give you inspiration, to teach you and to mentor you? We have created a community just for this very reason, to support each other, to hold each other accountable, and to be each other's cheerleaders. This group is called the Africana Women Visionaries because we're looking past the storm and are focused on the vision we have for our companies and the African continent. Join the Africana Women Visionaries free Facebook group to learn more. Now back to the conversation. Tell us a little bit about what you um, talk about when it comes to rape culture. Because I think, you know, when it comes to rape culture, it also just starts from the home. A lot of the education and miseducation starts from the home. Um. I think on that one, it's like really important firstly to see probably where I come from. Okay, so like I said, I was just like raised by a single mom and everything. But what I think is that that put me in a very vulnerable position because, you know, not growing up with my dad, I started thinking like, oh, does he like me? Am I worthy? You know, because for a long time, I just felt like the man who was put on this earth, who was supposed to love me, didn't love me. At least that's what I thought. And that's what I assumed. So I'm like, what, who, who exists to love me, you know, that kind of a thing. And I think if I was any other person, it would have broken me, but I got past it. And so I started thinking, if we're not, if we don't talk to people, young people about, about um, their relationships, 
if we're not helping expose them to good lifestyles and like everything, what's going to end up happening is that this generation is going to move and and going to end up in in toxic relationships. And what happens is that that's going to trickle down and be the child reality. And it's going to be a cycle, you know? And so whenever I'm talking about rape culture, I just want, I talk about firstly consent. Because I think people don't know consent is a thing and people try to use kind of like their past experiences to justify what's happened. I know somebody who was raped because she kept saying no, but the guy, the guy thought that she was playing hard to get, get best off of other experiences, you know? And I also know like guys who, I told them they, they were defiled because, you know, when you, when you kind of talk to a guy like, okay, because I try to have like these open conversations with everybody. So I'm like, oh, what was the first sexual encounter? And then he'll tell me something like, oh, no, no, I was 14 and this girl was 18. I'm like, you know, you're defiled, right? Like that's, that's straight up defilement. Um, so I try to open people up to those things, get consent. Even when I'm talking to my friends about consent, sometimes they laugh it off. Like, no, you just don't know what you're talking about. Um, you can tell by somebody's body, um, their body language, what they want. And I'm just like, but somebody says a no, it's, it's a no. Um, I talk to them about even, well, I don't know if it's exactly, but it's got to do with like sex in general. I talk to them about, um, about protection, um, and all these different things. Because again, you have things like HIV, which aren't talked about a lot, but which are very prevalent in our society. So I just try to make people more aware and just hope that at least one person listens, at least one person carries the conversation and we can probably move from there. Because, mm, mm. yeah. And you know, when something happens to a child and they are not free and able to go to their parents because of that lack of communication, it's, it, it really just, you know, messes with their minds. And then, like you're saying, it continues the cycle of, cycle of abuse, like you're saying. Yeah. yeah. And that seems yeah. to be a lot of people's so, stories. I said, that seems to be a lot of people's stories because I have people actually who come to me and tell me, no, I was raped, I was molested, I was this and that and this and that. And you find that they never spoke about those things because firstly, they thought it was their fault. Secondly, they had nobody to tell, you know, so it's just horrible. Yeah. So how do you support um you know, when somebody comes to you, what what do you do to support them and help them with their their mental health? And where do they go for support? Okay. Where, where could you? Where do you send them? So what happens also depends on how close I am to you because. Um, if you're like in my immediate circle or somebody that I encounter a lot, I will try to be the, more present and there for you. But then I can't necessarily be there for every person because I also have to worry about my mental health. If I'm carrying all your problems, when am I solving my own? Right. And so for a lot of them, I will be there to be to listen. But I also advise people to um, seek 
um, counseling. Because I'm like, look, I'm just I'm just a girl who knows a bit more than most people, but I can't help you go through this trauma. I think you should see a therapist. I think that you should sign up because I know um, like UTH should have like a free clinic for mental health and stuff like that. So I'm like, I think you should probably go to UTH. I think you should see somebody. And in rare, very rare events, I'm just like, this person might be really messed up. I have I have done this thing where I call my therapist and just ask her what do you think I should do, um, what do you think I should tell her, and then if it's like a really really dire situation, she's just like there's nothing that I can do right now. You just have to tell them they need to see a doctor, you know. Um, other times she may she may just decide like I could maybe refer them to somebody, you know, that kind of a thing. So that's what I try to do. with um, seeking professional help? Um, I don't know. Uh, mine has been really good. I would not lie. And I feel like there might be some perks to it. Firstly, because my mom's a doctor. So, I, and that doesn't mean we had an easy conversation when it came to like depression and everything. It was never easy. Um, let's see. I think I started probably experiencing these things of like depression, maybe when I was like 12, 13, you know, and that's pretty young. And so when I was, um, I don't know, maybe 16 years old, I kind of asked her, I was just like, mom, do you know that I used to be depressed, right? And then she goes like, yes, I knew. And that blew my mind because this is me trying to open up. Like, I used to be depressed. You didn't know. And she's like, I knew. And I'm like, uh, why didn't you do anything? And she said, I didn't know what to do. I tried to surround you as much as possible, but I actually didn't know what to do. And... Um, I didn't know what to do with that information, right? And then later that year, in 2016, that's when I finished school. So later that year, I started experiencing worse, um, like the worst kind of depression I've ever um, experienced just because I had finished school. Now I was in this realm of like, what's next? What am I going to do next? And my mom was really adamant. She's like, you're going to UNSA. And no offense, um, UNSA is not my top priority. I didn't want to go to UNSA. I actually never wanted to stay in the country. And so she's saying, like, you're just going to Unza. And I'm like, I don't want to do this. You know, so I started thinking of what can I do? I don't have money. I don't have resources. Like, what can I do? And so I didn't realize it. But that put me in like a depressed, I, I got in so depressed that I wouldn't be eating. And again, I never knew, I never noticed that I wasn't eating enough until my grandma kind of pointed it out. She's like, Lengua, you don't eat. And I'm like, um... Because my mom, my grandma had come over. She's like, you don't eat. I don't see you eating. You probably eat like one bowl of cornflakes a day. And I hadn't realized it. But from that moment, I kind of like started being better. And then opportunities came and everything. And um, yeah, that was like the first spell. Then the second spell was last year in, I think, October or November, where I couldn't eat again. Like for weeks, I, I just I, I had to force myself to eat. And so what I did is I just, I texted my mom. I talked to her about it at first. I was like, I'm, I'm trying, but I'm failing. And so just one night I texted her and I'm like, mom, I think it's time for me to get professional help. I can't do this. And just like the next Saturday, I think she just like, okay, I know somebody who was an intern. Let me talk to him. And so I went to see him. Um, he's a psychiatrist. And that's where my journey started. I was um, in the private sector. I saw a therapist from there. 
So I think my, I mean, because it was really flexible. I had the time. I would be there for like an hour. I would talk it out. I had my, um, um, she told me like, oh, this is the type of therapy we're doing. It's because of this. It was just, I feel like it was really great, you know. And it wasn't as expensive as most people think it is because um, I remember somebody asked me like, what were the prices, what were the rates? Um, and I told him and he goes like, in South Africa, this is like, this would be like three times as much. So I'm like, yeah, it's not that bad. But also it just depends, I guess. All right. So this, um, I think we'll probably um, end here. But I want to find out from you, what advice would you give to, um, to families about what uh, good communication could look like and the benefits of good communication, you know, between parents and their children and, um, yeah, what type of, what advice would you give? Um, I think I would start with telling them that there's so many benefits to just trying to also listen to your children. Um, children are their own human beings. And I think one, one, one thing that I see happening so often is that Parents think their children are extensions of them, but they're their own human beings and they'll have to live life eventually. So I think it's, it's worth it to give your child their own voice. They should know their own voice. They should be able to stand on their own. You know, because if you ask my mom, like, all these things I do, and you ask her, like, did you have any part to do it? She's probably going to be like, no, she, that's her. That's her. She just does it herself. And I think it's it's worth trying to trust your children. You know, me saying that children should be able to speak doesn't mean that you, that they should make the decisions. But I think it should mean that they should be able to know that they have a say and their voice is actually heard. Like if your child told you something and you don't like it, and you're not going to take into consideration, tell them, this is why I believe in this, this, this. I believe this is the best course for you. And even though you don't understand me right now, I'm your parent. And I think you need this, you know. And um, I would say just try to be, because I'm not a parent, but seeing my mom, um, I'd like to say that it's worth just trying to have the hard conversations with them it's worth um, bringing them slowly into reality. Don't try and shoot them because you won't be there forever. If you try and show the child the time that they have to get out, they're going to do so many things so recklessly because you're never there to guide them. So I think for parents, like what ends up happening is that if you're not open with your children, you might run the risk of losing them. You know, because they'll try to run away from you. They won't want to listen to you and things like that eventually. And just like simple communication, simple acts of opening up can really help a child um, learn to trust you more. You know, because when we're children, when we're really young, we're going to listen to you. But eventually we start having our own opinions and our own thought processes. And so if you're, if you're always going to be trying to mute us, we're going to end up going into culture for answers, we're going to end up going into the world for answers, and I think for me, that's one thing that I see in Christian circles, right? Where you're growing, you're raised in the church, but then somewhere in the middle, everybody kind of scatters because nobody tells them where to get the information from. 
the church isn't telling them what what they're supposed to be told. The parents aren't telling them what they're supposed to be told. What do you do? Culture. You see somebody in a music video doing something, you go and do it too, you know. And and a lot of parents seem very, they actually are very oblivious to the fact that their children are probably doing drugs. The, the children probably having alcohol, smoking, every sort of thing that you can think of, their children are probably doing it. And how I know this is true is because even I'm kind of oblivious to it, right? So my friend was like, oh no, they see rappers popping molly and they also want to do it. And I'm like, people do that? And he's like, yeah, it definitely happens. I've seen it in my friend circles firsthand that they do whatever these people um, music videos do. And so I just think that's a bit detrimental. You just have to think about what's going to happen in the future. Parents have that the, that, the largest impact. You have so much... Your children might have been raped, might have been molested, might have, and they'll never be able to say anything because you don't allow them to. Could destroy a whole human being, a whole cycle of generations if we're not careful. Another thing that might be impor- important for parents is for them to also go for therapy. I think I was on one of these meetings the first time I ever heard somebody say, I think everybody needs therapy, because I think it's true. I think people need to unpack what they're doing. Whatever the traumas they went through as young children, they're probably um, putting that, um, or projecting all those things onto their children. They also need to heal so that they can raise children that may not need that therapy as much as they do. Yeah. Mm, mm. Oh, that is good. <laughs> Parents need to go for therapy, <laughs> That is so good, yes. I agree. <laughs> we all need to go into therapy and just talk, and not just your pastor, please. <laughs> Point. Okay. <laughs> okay, my darling. Thank you so much for joining me. We made this work <laughs> as difficult as and challenging as it was, but thank you so much for taking the time. And just being patient with the process. Um, how can people find you? I, I, you know what? Somebody um, actually asked me if I can introduce you to her. It's uh, a young lady that I met. Her. She's like, oh, I read her bio. I want to meet her. I'm like, okay, okay, let me ask her. <laughs> no problem. I'm here for it. Um, so get in touch with me. Just Lingo Bobo. Twitter, Lenguepopo, Instagram, Lenguepopo, Facebook, Lenguepopo. Um, I'm more likely to reply on Instagram, I believe. Yeah, because I'm more active on Instagram than all the other platforms. But yeah, bring her. Let's meet. Um, except like, well, I'm going on sabbatical till like Saturday. So after that, feel free. Call me. <laughs> What's happening? Why are you wearing my sabbatical to Saturday? What's canny? Uh, mental health. I need to stay away from the Instagrams and the Facebooks and the WhatsApps. There's so much going on. I need time. I know. Actually, I was thinking about that. I was thinking that I need to do a break. Because, you know, I used to do that a bit regularly. Like, just get off social media. Mm-hmm. But I haven't done it in a while. So I was thinking, hmm, maybe I should do this. So, again, we have been talking about communication in African homes and mental health. And, you know, it's, communication is two ways. It's, um, it's not just one way. And I, I think many of us have grown up 
in homes where it's been very authoritative and, you know, the the parent is is literally like the god. <laughs> I wouldn't even say like the boss, just the god. <laughs> you know, I say this, I say this, this is what needs to go. But, you know, as Lengwe has pointed out today, ever so eloquently, is that every single person in that household is a whole human being. They are an individual, and even as young as they are, they still have emotions, they still have feelings, they still need to understand what is going on in the world. And um, even as parents, we want to be sheltering our children, and we want to... um, protect them but if we don't talk about necessary things then when they finally get out into the world it's just disaster they don't know what to do don't know how to react just disaster guys so it's so important that we begin to really open up really have these conversations and yes it will be difficult to start with but we have to start from somewhere and even as the younger people who want to start having these conversations um lengue advice don't just jump jump into the deep end please that's small 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 <laughs> and then build up to these um these uh larger and deeper conversations but it's definitely doable it's definitely something that um, we can all work on and just in general when we're mental health it is so important for us all to seek help there's so many things that have happened to us traumatic and so on and so forth and we haven't had places to go and speak up about it but right now we need to break that cycle go and talk to somebody parents go and talk to somebody something happened you need to talk to somebody all right so this is where this edition of A Taste of Culture ends. Thank you so much, Lengwe. It's been such a delight to have you on. And you can find Lengwe on Twitter, on Instagram, on Facebook as Lengwe Bobo. And if you want to contact her, please send her messages on Instagram. All right, guys. Have a good time. <laughs> hmm. This conversation really made me think a lot about parenting styles and the level of sheltering that we as parents render on our children. I think we have to get comfortable with uncomfortable conversations. The earlier you start, the better, so as it becomes more natural. I know it'll be very hard because this is not something that was modeled for us, but the benefits far outweigh the dis-ease. You know, I heard a disturbing statistic this week um, about suicide in children. And this is a statistic that's um, from the U.S., right? And it says that the time between when a child thinks about suicide, about, um, you know, harming themselves, and when they actually act on it is 45 minutes. 45 minutes. Just think about that. Friend, you have to create an environment where your children can come to talk to you about their lives. I don't think it's an option anymore. So please 
please show Lengwe some love. You can find her at Lengwe Bobo on all social media. Doesn't she have a fantastic name? Like, I love her name. <laughs> and you tell her that you heard her on the Africana Woman podcast. Thank you so much for making us part of your day by listening in. I truly appreciate you. I love you so much. As always, I need your help to get the word out about the Africana Woman podcast. All you have to do is take a screenshot of this episode and post it on your social media stories. Don't forget to tag me at Chulu by Design. And I love to see your feedback. Or you can rate and review the show in Apple Podcasts. And that really helps to reach more women. Now, you know, my playground is Instagram. If you want to chat with me personally, drop me a line. Until next week, remember, know your roots, grow your purpose. This has been a production of Ulendo Creative Media. You can find out more about their services on www.ulendocreative.com.